Hey everyone, I'm Megan, the Family Finance Mom, and welcome to Finance Explained. This week, I've got three major financial headlines for you. Last week, the stock market hit new record highs again, finishing the month of October up 6.9%, its best monthly performance of the year. What's behind the stock market soaring? Next, last week, the Bureau of Economic Analysis released its first estimate for Q3 GDP, and it missed big up just 2% for the quarter. Why were economists expecting more? And third, last week we also got September's data for income and consumer expenditures with more data on inflation. What does it tell us about prices and the financial health of consumers? After that, we'll take a deep dive into a part of personal finance many consumers may find more necessary in the months to come. Debt consolidation. Join me for a discussion with debt consolidation attorney Leslie Tane as we talk about what is involved, red flags to watch for, and who might benefit from exploring it. Welcome to Finance Explained, where you'll get the top financial headlines of the week, along with an explanation of what it all means and why it matters to you. But first, this week's episode is brought to you by Honest History Magazine. For anyone looking for a unique and educational gift for kids this holiday season, check out Honest History. Started as a place for kids to explore the past and learn about everyday people who change the world, the quarterly publication is as educational as it is beautiful to look at. Honest History magazines are designed for children ages 6 to 12, and each issue is dedicated to a specific place or time period. My girls have loved learning about the ancient Roman Empire, the construction of New Schwanstein, Germany, and the castle's connection to Disney. And this summer, they love learning about the history of the Olympic Games. The issues are also so well-constructed, printed on high-quality paper using eco-friendly inks and materials, that we donated ours to my children's classrooms at school after we finished with them at home. You can order any past issue or subscribe to receive a new issue quarterly at honesthistorymag.com. Use coupon code FINANCEMOM at checkout and save 10% off your purchase. Now let's dive into the three biggest financial headlines of the week. Last week, the stock market hit new highs again as Q3 earnings surprises, companies reporting earnings above analyst expectations, continue to fuel market gains. The market jumped on Thursday after Hertz announced a deal with Tesla to buy 100,000 cars, pushing the consumer discretionary sector of the index up 4.4% for the week. On Friday, the S&P 500 closed at an all-time high, ending the week up 1.3% and the month of October up 6.9%, its best month all year, following September's sell-off. The market is now up 22.6% year-to-date. The biggest driver of the stock market these last few weeks is definitely the strong Q3 earnings season. So far, 56% of S&P 500 companies have reported Q3 earnings. Of those, 82% have beat analyst earnings expectations so far. The prior record was 87%, which beat earnings just last quarter in Q2 of 2021. 
On average, companies reporting have beat earnings estimates by more than 10%, with the biggest earnings surprises happening in the financial sector due to non-recurring reserves for losses being released and higher trading revenues. Going forward, analysts expect revenue growth to outpace earnings growth in 2022 and have less growth than this year. This is likely due to inflationary pressures and companies' ability to pass on higher costs in the form of price increases, as well as competition for consumer dollars as student loan forbearance ends in January. The stock market trades based on company earnings and earnings growth. If inflation erodes earnings growth expectations, we could see increased volatility in the stock market as we head into 2022. All of the Q3 earnings data is based on the 56% of S&P 500 companies who've reported through the end of last week. Another 167 companies will report this week, so stay tuned. Up next, Q3 GDP. Last Thursday, the Bureau of Economic Analysis released the first estimate for Q3 2021 GDP, which ended September 30th. Economists expected annualized real GDP growth, which is adjusted both for seasonality and the impact of inflation, of 2.8%, but just 2% growth was reported for the quarter. The miss is even worse if you consider that at the outset of Q3, back in early summer, expectations for growth were as high as 8%. So what happened? Economists underestimated the impact of both the Delta variant surge and ongoing supply chain bottlenecks. This significantly impacted personal consumption expenditures, especially on durable goods, which were down 26.2% for the quarter on an annualized basis. Other drags on GDP growth? Reduce federal spending, as many of the emergency measures enacted during the pandemic have begun to phase out and rising net imports. The U.S. continues to be a net importer of goods. This means we buy more goods from foreign countries than they buy from us, which has a net negative impact on GDP. We use our dollars to buy goods produced in other countries, boosting their GDP at the expense of our own economic production. Our import spending is growing faster, up 6.1% for Q3, than our exports, which actually declined 2.5% for the quarter, creating a headwind for U.S. GDP. Big picture, GDP is the overall measure of economic productivity and the unofficial measure used for determining economic cycles. According to GDP, we have more than recovered from the 2020 recession and are firmly in the expansion phase of the economic cycle. The next data point on GDP The second estimate for Q3 will be released by the Bureau of Economic Analysis on November 24th. Last, let's dive into September's Personal Income and Outlays Report. On Friday, the Bureau of Economic Analysis released the Personal Income and Outlays Report for September. This report is important for a number of economic data points that it reveals each month. First, disposable income. How much in the aggregate are Americans earning each month? For the month of September, disposable personal income was down 1.3% versus the month prior. This decline in income is entirely attributable to a decline in government social benefit payments, largely due to the end of federal unemployment benefits, 
which ended in early September. Typically in a recession, we see incomes fall as unemployment increases, which can lengthen and deepen a recession and the time it takes to recover. But this recession was different. There was only a very brief dip below the long-term income trend line at the very start of the pandemic. Then, quick action by the federal government through a massive increase in government payments, both via direct stimulus checks and federal unemployment benefits, boosted incomes beyond the long-term trend line for most of the last two years. And the government absolutely should step in and provide a safety net during tumultuous times. But part of why we may be seeing inflation now is they may have overdone it. Disposable income matters because it is what gives consumers the ability to spend. And that matters because consumer spending represents two-thirds of U.S. GDP. Making sure consumers have reliable income and feel good about the outlook for the economy is important to driving consumer spending. But during much of 2020, despite government payments boosting incomes, consumer spending remained down. Why? Because most of our spending today is now for services which require in-person interactions that many were simply not comfortable doing during the pandemic. Travel, restaurants, hospitality, and recreational activities suffered most. Also, the economic uncertainty paired with the inability to spend as normal massively increased savings rates. However, over the last six months, as vaccinations have become more widely adopted, consumer spending returned. And it continued to grow in September, up 0.6% versus August, even as incomes declined. This resulted in a big drop in the savings rate to 7.5% in line with pre-pandemic levels. The question now is how long will the increased savings of the last two years fuel consumer spending going forward if income doesn't grow without government support? Another data point included in this monthly report is the PCE price index, the Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation. This measures the price increases based on actual personal consumption expenditures, so what you and I are actually buying. For September, the PCE price index was up 4.4% over the last year, with prices on goods up 6.1%, services up 3.5%, food up 4.1%, and energy up 24.9%. The core PCE price index, which excludes more volatile food and energy prices, was up 3.6%. Supply chain bottlenecks and energy prices continue to drive inflation, especially for durable goods, which saw a significant increase in demand over the last two years as people cut spending on services and spent more on goods instead. Inflation has not seen annual increases this high since the early 1990s. And if we go back to disposable income in that pre-pandemic long-term trend line, the federal government likely overdid it a bit and fueled some of these inflationary pressures. While the government should step in and serve as a social safety net in a recession, they more than made people whole. They boosted incomes far beyond normal. At the same time, the pandemic paused production and our limited limited production capacity on a whole host of goods and raw materials. It created the perfect inflationary storm, 
giving people too many dollars to chase reduced supply. So when will inflation subside to more normal 2% Fed target levels? Likely when consumer demand and supply chains stabilize. Supply chain bottlenecks should alleviate with time, though likely not for another 6 to 12 months at least. Consumer demand could slow sooner as student loan forbearance comes to an end, if the Fed starts to raise interest rates, and if pricing pressures continue, all of which will also come to a head over the next 6 to 12 months. The next data point, October personal income and outlays will be released on November 24th. For this week's deep dive, I'm sitting down with another personal finance expert, Leslie Tane, the founder and managing director of Tane Law Group, to talk about debt consolidation. As we saw in September, incomes may be pulling back, and come January, student loan payments resume. Many consumers may find themselves in difficult financial situations. Could debt consolidation be an option for you? Leslie is an award-winning financial attorney and the author of Life and Debt. She has over 20 years of experience in the consumer and business financial debt solutions arena, including negotiations with large international banks and credit agencies for loans, lines of credit, credit cards, and student loans on behalf of clients. Leslie's insights have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, and other major news outlets. Welcome, Leslie. Hi, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and dive right in with questions, if that's all right with you. Sounds Um, great. You are an expert in debt consolidation. So why don't we start from the beginning and just kind of big picture, what is debt consolidation and how might it look different in different scenarios? So debt consolidation is really a generalized term for a number of different strategies that those looking to resolve their debt can utilize. So from the different perspectives really depends on what your ultimate goal is. So debt consolidation can include a loan. It could include a debt settlement process. It could could include a bankruptcy. It could include a consumer credit counseling service. So consolidation, again, is just a very, very broad term for putting everything into one. So taking it from one process and putting it into another, consolidating it, putting it together. Okay. So given that kind of as a background, um, who are the types of people who should consider debt consolidation? Should anybody with debt consider consolidation or do you have to reach some certain point first? No, anybody consider a, can consider a debt consolidation program or process. I mean, you could basically do debt consolidation on your own in some ways. So it doesn't have to be with a third party, an agency, an attorney, or otherwise. So remember, when you're considering debt consolidation and determining what is in your best interest, you need to take a look at what's going on with your personal finances and what your goals are. And those goals should be looked at in short and long term. So perhaps your goal is to reduce your debt because the money that you're paying out every single month is choking you. You just don't have enough to meet your expenses. So your goal is to reduce that. But your secondary goal to that is managing your credit. So when you're lining up your goals, you have to also prioritize what those goals are. 
So again, when, when you as an individual are considering debt consolidation, you have to figure out what, what is happening to me? What's happening right now? And why do I feel like I need this particular type of situation? Why am I considering it? You're considering it because you are having difficulty meeting your current financial obligations. You're putting you're using your credit cards to supplement cash, meaning you can't afford to pay certain bills. So everything's being put on credit cards and then you're only making the minimum payment. The interest rates are super high on the debts that you currently have. So you're looking for either a loan or you're looking to reduce the interest rate in order to pay off your debts. Because remember, interest rates really come into the factor that you're usually paying more in interest than you are with your minimum payment. So that's the debt cycle. That's why it's difficult to get out of dealing with debt because the interest is generally higher than the minimum payment. Minimum payments mm -hmm. are around two to 4% and your interest is, is usually on, certainly on unsecured debt, nine to 27%. So that's why it's, it's just designed that way. So if you find yourself in that situation where you feel like you're in a debt cycle, that's a consideration. You have a life change and life happens and there are changes that happen all the time. That could be a death, it could be divorce, it could be loss of job or income or look at what we're all experiencing now, which is inflation, mm -hmm. where our goods and services are costing us so much more than we, than we had budgeted for even a few months ago. So all of those factors really come down to understanding that debt consolidation might be the right process for you. And keep in mind that you know, in my practice, and I've been doing this 25 years, I see people with huge income, high net worth, actors. I see um, attorneys, accountants, Wall Street people. I see people who are on very low income, no income. Uh, so it, debt doesn't discriminate and it yeah. runs across the gamut and life changes and life happens to everybody. We're all human. So you know things that impact our lives to make the decision to go through a debt consolidation process are normal. It's okay that you're considering it it's just a matter of you know, you making a decision of what strategy is gonna work best for you and who you're gonna work with to, to really make those strategies a reality. And you, you just touched on this a little bit, like you know, your clients span the gamut of income level, of you know, different types of jobs, um, to your point that debt doesn't discriminate. What are you seeing from clients you're working with today? Like what does your typical client look like and does, has it changed kind of over the last two years as we've survived through this, you know, crazy downturn in recovery? So my typical client, there isn't, so it's interesting because when we look for marketing, we're, we're looking to always, everybody, whenever we work with our, our marketing team, every, you know, we're looking to say, who's our typical client? So we don't have a typical client. I have clients in their 20s. I have clients in their 90s. I have clients who are married, divorced. Uh, I have clients who are, every, you name it, they are my client. So mm -hmm. it's a very difficult thing to answer, a very difficult question to answer and say, you know, you look like, you know, looking on the street now. I can point out people that that's my client or that's, that would be my typical client. That is not the case. My client is somebody who has 
debt. My client is somebody who has a willingness to resolve their debt. Mm -hmm. My client is somebody who realizes, it becomes aware that their current financial situation is one that is not either improving or that has been stagnant or that they realize that they need help. It's sort of like a cold. So you get a little sniffle, like in the last two years, everyone's a little more paranoid, but in general, <laughs> when, you, when you have a little sniffle, you're like, you start to ignore it, but then like it starts to bother your throat and then all of a sudden it's in your ears and then it's in your chest and it, that's debt. So it's, it's a little tickle. And then that little tickle becomes a bigger issue. And then the question becomes like, how long are you going to live with it until you need medicine and mm -hmm. not just over the counter medicine? So, and that's, it's the only way to explain it because I, I always try to tell people you're not alone, even though you feel you're alone, you are not alone in dealing with debt. It's super normal and it happens as part of life. It might happen to you in your thirties and never happen again. It might never happen until your seventies. And I have clients who tell me that too, that they've never had a debt situation like this. And that might happen in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 40s, 30s, 20s. It happens. Yeah. So, you know, as a, somebody who's listening to this and the point of me saying that there's no typical client, there really isn't. It's just, you become aware that there's a challenge. And now you say, okay, I, I am challenged. And I'm and I don't know that I've explored all of the proper strategies. Like what else is out there that could really help me? Uh, you know, you got to take a look at all the medicine on the shelves and say, you know, what's going to really meet my goals mm -hmm. and what meets my needs and what's going to make me better. And that's how you decide. Are there, are there any similarities in terms of what their balance sheet looks like? Like in terms of the types of debt that has pushed people into these situations? So typically credit card debt. So today, because it's very hard to get any type of personal loans or even business loans. Mm -hmm. So it's in order to get loans, you have to have absolutely really a perfect financial um, sheet. You really do. You, you have to, your credit score has to be really solid. Your credit because, actually, and, and just as an aside, it's because interest rates are so low. So banks well, can't get compensated. So they're limiting their risk by only giving loans to people who have no risk of default, basically. Well, the, it's the risk factor. It's not right. just the not getting paid back. It's, there's a risk factor. So the risk is, is too high these days be, based on what's gone on the last two years economically for right. banks, traditional banks to be lending. So they've tightened their, their requirements for traditional lending. So it's not that easy to get. So you have to have really great and great credit score can, is meaningless in many cases. So it's not just your credit score. It's your credit history. It's what you mm -hmm. have in the bank. It's your income and expenses. So you can maintain a zero balance budget for yourself, meaning everything that goes out is paid, but you have no money left over, but you have an 800 credit score, you're not getting a loan. So credit score in and of itself is great for bragging rights, but it doesn't do anything for you as a, um, a potential borrower. Mm -hmm. So with that said, what we see typically are credit cards because people supplement their lifestyles on credit cards. It's just super easy to do so. Right. And you know, you you put it on the credit card, you don't think about it, and then something happens, and you only make the minimum payments, and that kind of goes on for a long time. My business clients, we see the challenges with merchant cash advances, fast cash inventory loans, things like that. That where they're borrowing online, they go online, 
and it's, they get the money in 24 hours and it's a guise to an actual loan. So it's not really a loan. It has different language so they could charge triple digit interest rates. So you might be paying, you know, 104.4% interest. So my God. So that's what we're seeing a lot of because businesses are really struggling. And I bring up the business side because today any small business owner has to personally guarantee any kind of credit. So you are, my business owners can't get regular credit cards anymore. There's just not enough available credit to run businesses and things are really tight as a small business owner. And that might be impacting your ability and your personal finances. So that's what we're seeing a lot of, and it's understandable, you know, we're, we're in, an, we're in an economic recovery period, but economic recovery, it's like anything else. So like if you had surgery, you know, your recovery period takes time and there's aches and pains and it's not overnight. So the recovery period is going to take time for, especially for those who were hit the hardest mm-hmm. and are still struggling to kind of come out of this. But it, um, and that's where the debt programs and the debt resolution programs make sense. Uh, and that is definitely something to consider right now because part of your recovery could be a consolidation process, debt settlement. Right. right. When, and so talk a little bit about the services you provide as an attorney with debt consolidation, as opposed to kind of, I think a lot of times when people go on websites, they see advertisements for consolidation loans or counseling. How does what you offer differ from some of those other paths? Okay, so I'm going to tell you the, the, basically the differences between, um, you know, under debt settlement and debt resolution, the options. So just want to caution consumers that just because you got something in the mail with your personal information on it doesn't mean that that's a legitimate organization. All of your personal information can be bought and is sold regularly. So just because they know who your creditors are, have the last four digits of your social security number, know who you bank with, that doesn't make that, or it looks legitimate, it's got an eagle on it or a flag on it, that doesn't make it a legitimate organization. That's a red flag to say, whoa, I don't know that I'm gonna make this phone call I really should research this before I do that. And remember, websites too are very easy. You know, they, they're very easy to make and they could look official. So you really want to be careful. And that's why working with an attorney makes so much sense because I have a license. I have a regulatory board that regulates my activity. The monies that get exchanged go through my attorney escrow account, which has additional insurance on it. And the services that we offer are basically a debt consolidation process through debt settlement. So what we do is we do an evaluation to see what's going on and figure out what makes sense here. And if it's an affordable process, because You need to be able to afford the process in the sense that there's a payment that corresponds with a time frame that goes to your creditors. It's not a monthly payment that is service fee. And that's something to be aware of too with debt consolidation companies and debt settlement companies. Are they taking money up front before they resolve your account? Where is your money going? How long have they been in business? There's licensing requirements for debt settlement and debt management companies. Some states have completely abolished it. You can't do it at all. Like um, there's a couple of states that, that don't allow it. In New York, you have to be licensed or you have to be an attorney that exclusively works in this area. You know, this is not a one and done. You can't go to somebody who said, I resolved my own debt. So therefore now I'm an expert and I can resolve your debt. 
It, it doesn't work like that. No two accounts are the same. And there's a relationship that I have with creditors after 25 years of reliability and trustworthy. And I know exactly how to resolve debt. There's not, um, there's not a situation that has come to me that I, like a ball, I can't hit. So I feel very comfortable and confident. Accountability is really important. Who are you dealing with? Is it a call center? Let me tell you what you see on television is a call center that you're going to call up an 800 number and you're going to go to one company and I'm going to go to another and the next call is going to go to another. And those are not, and they, they have very easy URLs. So the, the names of their websites or their are very, are very big and easy names, but those are bought too. And so, you know, just because they're on TV or radio also doesn't make it right for you. You have to do the research. And if you don't feel comfortable, there's something in your gut that tells you this doesn't feel right. I'm not getting straight answers. I don't know where my money's going. I don't know how this process is working. They're going to get paid before my creditors do. That's a consumer. Those are all consumer red flags. And I understand that it's challenging because it's emotional. It is your stress. Let me tell you that you are absolutely stressed out when you when you come to me and I get it and I I am very empathetic to it. It's a process and you are hurting and you're either fighting with your spouse or significant other. You're, you're waking up in the middle of the night. You don't know how you're going to meet certain expectations, bills or otherwise and juggle it all. So it's very hard to make good decisions under those circumstances. And you need to be able to work with somebody who's not going to put pressure on you, who's going to explain everything up front so that mm -hmm. you feel well informed to make a good decision about which strategy and process is going to work for you. I think you bring up a really good point, which is that a lot of times we reach this stage where it does become very emotional. And so it's important to remain kind of grounded in facts and research and logic and not allow kind of because these predatory companies will, will prey on your emotion to take totally. advantage of the situation. And you touched on a couple things that kind of like, what are red flags that people should be aware of? Um, you know, when you're in this position, you're looking for a solution. You want a way out. You want something to be better. What are some of the things that are red flags that people should watch out for? And like, if you hear this coming from someone you're talking to, kind of run the other way. High pressure sales, that you're just talking to a salesperson. There's no accountability. There's no, um, you know, you don't, you don't know where they're located. They're not located locally. When you ask about licensing, they're like, or an attorney, they say, oh yeah, we have an attorney on staff. This is okay. Most companies have some attorney someplace. So that doesn't mean that it, that, that works for you. They, they can't work with all creditors. They'll give you a limitation of which creditors they can and cannot work with. Um, and that there's monthly service fees. So every single month they're taking a piece of your, of your money before your creditors have been paid. Those are all certainly red flags um, that they're soliciting you, that they've come after you. We don't, we don't go after anybody. We, even when there's a referral, we tell a referral source to ask them to call into us. We want mm -hmm. you to have come to us and you can research and there's if you Googled me, you would see tons and tons of pages of, of who I am. You could look up my license, my bar number, um, how long I've been in business, who I am. There's just so much more accountability. Um, a lot of these companies have only been in business a few years. And the reason why is because they do come out in certain economic environments. Mm -hmm. um, the more vulnerable the, consumer, the consumers are, 
the easier it is to prey on that. Um, and it's, a, you know, in my career, I have worked really hard to try to change the face of what people thought debt settlement is, that it does work. It's very successful. It's extremely successful when you work with the right people who are looking out for not just you. They like, I want my clients to not only be happy, but I want them informed. I want them to understand the legalities of everything because there's legal aspects to, to debt work. There just is. There's, there's legal. You need well, to it's a con- I mean, debt is a contract. And so it is a legally binding contract. And to get out of it, you need to understand how to navigate the contracts. Exactly. And when you don't make a payment, you breach that contract and then right. they can sue you. So you want that protection. There's a tax piece of the puzzle that may or may not come up. Um, and there's a, there's, um, your credit, you know, what is the impact to your credit? And most of my clients will tell you that their credit goes up during the process. So it's not a bankruptcy and how does it appear and what can you do? And then circumstances change over the course of time. It's a relationship. It's a two to four year commitment. Um, and it's, you know, you need to feel comfortable that, you know, you're working with somebody that you feel good about who really is going to look out for your personal best interests you know, and make sure that you are protected. And when you need something, they're there for you. Yeah. I think the other thing that comes across that is something I share with my followers a lot as well is that, you know, just like personal finance is personal, this process is personal. Like there's no two situations that are exactly the same. And anybody who's representing themselves to you as otherwise is probably not doing it right. That and the, they make guarantees. They tell you, oh, I could definitely settle your account for 30% of the debt. In most cases, you can't these days. That's just not even realistic. Or that guarantees numbers, guaranteed timeframes, any kind of promises in this business, that's the, the first thing that I would run the other way because there's just no way you can guarantee, you know, honestly, I, on Friday, what American Express did could be completely different than what they're doing today. And we won't know that until I pick the phone up. And sometimes we pick the phone up and they say one thing. And honestly, we call back to the same people and we get a different response. And, you know, making sure everything's done right. You don't want Mm -hmm. this stuff to come back and follow you. You know, clients call me and they say, you know, 10 years ago, I'm being sued on something that happened 10 years ago. I don't understand. And they tell me that they were involved with some company, but there's no paper trail. Yeah. Just really simply, because we keep talking around some of these terms and I want to make sure people understand. What do you mean when you say debt settlement? Debt settlement is a process by which you're going to renegotiate the terms of your debt and reduce the balance. So a settlement is an agreement between you and a creditor to uh, pay certain funds over a certain time frame. That is usually uh, in the debt settlement world less than what you owe. So if you owe ten thousand, a settlement would be let's say eight thousand. That's okay. a settlement. Okay. And then when we say like a debt consolidation loan, what does that look like? A debt consolidation loan is when a third-party lender comes in and gives you money so that you can basically pay off all your bills. So let's say you have five creditors that you, and that equals $10,000. A third-party bank would come in and say, here's $10,000, now just make one monthly payment to us. That would be a consolidation loan process. Okay. Thanks for that. I just want to make sure everybody's kind of on the same page as we're talking about it. Um, You mentioned that, you know, not every debt is settleable. Is that a word? Settleable? Um, 
what are the types of debts that aren't eligible for things like consolidation or settlement? Well, in the settlement world, current debts, you know, current, you're, you're current, you're making on-time regular payments, even minimum payments, that is not going to be settled. So no creditor is ever going to make an adjustment on something that they're paying, that you're, they're receiving what they want to receive, which is your, your minimum payment plus interest and everything else. So that's not an option. The uh, in debt consolidation, you know what that's really between the lender and the um, and really the borrower. What, right. what are the terms of the consolidation process? What are they agreeing to? Is it a student loan consolidation? So then it would only be student loans. Um, what else is not eligible? Um, Timeframes on eligibility for settlement. So even if you are delinquent, some creditors um, the delinquency period needs to be, meaning a delinquency period is how long you're behind, how long you haven't made the payment. Um, and sometimes that could be uh, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, over a year, two years. We have accounts that are delinquent three or four years before they get paid. Um, and that sometimes, again, somebody who knows this world um, can look at an account and say, this is what usually, what usually happens and how much time we need on this. But again, we don't really worry about the time piece, as I tell my clients, because the goal is to reduce cash outlay. And when you're living more in a cash-based budget, which is what happens during a debt settlement process, meaning you're lowering what you're paying out every single month to make you, it easier for you to pay your bills, mm -hmm. uh, then what's the difference as long as it fits within your budget and it, and it ultimately gets resolved? Uh, and somebody's managing it. I mean, we're babysitting those accounts. So we're making sure every month, year after year, that they're, um, that we're massaging them so that they are, in, they're ripe. You know, it's a little bit of a, it's a little, a little farming process, the way we, we manage uh, debt. But uh, with that said, that's another example. So realistic expectations when you're going into it. Sometimes people call me up and they're like, yeah, so I want you to settle all my debt for 10 cents on the dollar. And we say, well, this will not be a good fit for you. Like, we can't work with you because that is an unrealistic expectation. And yes, I own a home. I have a job. And I'm, I'm you know, healthy enough to continue working. But I want you to settle everything for 10 cents on the dollar. Not going to happen. So this is not that world anymore. So 15 years ago, 10 years ago even, I would say, yes, you could walk into a, You could call a creditor and say, I'll give you a you know, on a $10,000 debt, I give you a thousand bucks and they'll take it. That that's not doesn't happen anymore. Likelihood they'll sue you before that happens these days. But um, so some debts that also aren't settleable are complex debts. So I have a client who tried to do everything on her own and made a lot of mistakes along the way, obviously. I mean, it happens because you don't really know how to manage and deal with creditors. Um, but made agreements, forgot that she made agreements, made some payments, didn't make payments. And now that creditor is standing firm on the fact that they will not settle with her because of credibility. Right. And so credibility does come into play a lot. So sometimes people like to call their creditors and try to talk to them, but they start telling creditors way too much information and they just shoot themselves in their foot. But again, you know, to be fair to consumers, you know, I'm non, I'm non-judgmental. I, you got into debt, I'll fix it. Uh, why you got there is important, but not because I will make a comment about you should have or you shouldn't have. It, it happens, and I've seen every reason why. So I feel like I'm a debt doctor. So 
you know, you could, you could let your finances be naked with me and I'm cool. Um, but sometimes clients like to call and talk to creditors first because they, they panic. Um, but I can tell you that a creditor can get anything out of you. So they're just going to get you to say things that I, I call up the creditor and then the creditor says, Leslie, do you know what your client told us? And I want to be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, and and to, your, to your point, you're talking about like when you call and they ask you information about your financial situation. So your income level, your asset level, your, and once they have that information, it makes settlement more difficult because they know like, well, this person is capable of paying. <laughs> Well, I have a, like, for example, a client will call me and say, they don't even have to ask the question because people are so nervous. They just keep saying, they just keep talking. So they say, I just want to let you know that I'm getting this really big bonus and I'm about to sell a property. I'll have some money and my house is, I have no mortgage on it. And, and my, what? Like, that's not information that we disclose, uh, you know, always um, under certain circumstances. We want to be super careful. And that's where an experienced professional comes in and can really navigate that world for you and can have a conversation with a creditor and get your, achieve the goal. So mm -hmm. there's your goal, implement the strategy and, and come out on the other end successful because of the experienced knowledge and ability that that person has to do it for you. And it's worth it, it's, it's worth it. it. Yes, there's always a cost. There's a cost to consolidation loan. Even if you don't pay it up front, there's a cost. There's a cost, but it is um, not something that should necessarily be the, 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 the deterrent because in the end, it can cost, if you come to me with all those mistakes, unfortunately, you know, we have to charge a considerable sum of money you know, to try to unweave a very, very complex, you know, mess. That, that brings up a good point about what should the fee structure look like in something like this? Like how, how does that work? So fee structure for us is contingency based because on an hourly rate at this point in my career, and I'm a New York attorney, um, is not even, it would make you choke. So there's just no way that that's, that's even feasible. So we work on contingency and um, in some cases we work on flat rates where we come up with just a flat rate. But what we do is we build it into a payment plan. So we have a formula, we build it into a, a very specific payment program so that it's very, very, very uh, manageable. So that's, that's the way it should work. We don't charge monthly service fees, things like that. Um, you know, we, we don't nickel and dime clients. There's no hourly rates. You know, we, we have an open door policy. Those are all positive things that I would look for. So that's what people should look for, kind of upfront fee disclosure, some type of flat rate, not necessarily like a percentage of the debt that you're settling. Well, that's contingency, a percentage of the debt. Okay. And I, I like contingency personally because it incentivizes me, it incentivizes to save me right. to help you. So a flat rate, I'm going to earn it anyway. Right. You know, you're going to pay me the flat rate. That's fine. And sometimes, you know, and don't be, don't look at the number because just because one number says, uh, looks like a higher number, it's not the number. It's what it's based off of. Right. So sometimes clients, you know, when they're shopping around and they come in, they say, oh, somebody offered to do this for me for 15%. I said 15% of what? Right. So that's right. And those numbers, let me tell when you crunch the dollar amount, you know, they, they come out the same. And then if they're charging monthly service fees, of course you could lower the percentage because if you're just going to charge monthly service fees, then where's the incentive for them to do anything for you? Right. If anything, they're incentivized to drag it out for as long as possible. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right, right. It has to be balanced in your favor. And I believe that the services that we provide are balanced in the client's favor. I mean, if, if I open the door here to show people how challenging it is to deal with creditors at times, um, from the moment we send them our authorizations to getting the final paperwork for the client, I mean, it is, you know, like your eyes would roll back in your head. So it's not an easy process. So one thing I want to kind of conclude on here is who, who is this most successful for? Like who goes through this process and comes out the other side and is better for it and moves on to be kind of in a position of achieving financial freedom and successful long-term? Those that trust the process. It's an emotional success point. So yes, if you look at it black and white, I can fix anybody's debt anytime. I can be super successful. The ones that fail are the ones that have no trust and they, they, they're dishonest from the beginning. They don't disclose information. They're dishonest. They, they have several burners going, meaning they're, they're looking to, they don't come into the process with their hands clean, meaning like coming. Here's to, everything. Right. Here's everything. I completely trust you. I know you're going to do right by me. And I understand that the process will be successful if I follow your instructions. Those that don't listen, don't follow the instructions, uh, are not, um, are very untrusting with the process. And I understand, listen, you might've gone through a process that, that you got burned or you're, you're in the beginning, I get that. But once you make the decision to get, come on board, and sometimes we'll turn people away because we don't feel that they really are committed uh, and that they really do trust us. And sometimes we'll just say, you're just not there where I know you'll be successful because if you come in with an attitude of, I, I don't think this is gonna work and I don't really trust the process. And, um, and then two years later you say, I didn't know there were fees. Like, you know, then, then you're gonna have challenges. You're just not gonna be as successful. Those that, um, I'm telling you, those that say, you know what, in the beginning, it's okay to feel nervous and uncomfortable in the beginning. I get that. But once you make the decision and we're on our way, um, sit back, relax, let me fly the plane and, you know, we're going to get there and it's going to smooth out. And those are the ones that call me up and they are so happy, thankful, successful because debt settlement, um, you know, again, it's, it's also successful if you have the budget. So mm -hmm. if you can't afford it, then we recommend that you speak to a bankruptcy attorney or look for other um, alternatives that we recommend to people to el elsewhere that we don't do. But you have to trust the process and trust that you've made the right decision and be honest with the people that you're working for. I mean, you know, I'm an attorney. I would hope that, uh, and I can see through it sometimes, but that's the, that's the most successful. Commit yeah. to it. The other thing I always tell people too is like, this is just part of a process. And if you don't pair it with behavioral change, then it's not going to be successful. And it can end up like you can end up at a worse spot because as you're settling debts, you're freeing up credit for them again. And so credit if, and cash. Yeah. And so if they just, if you continue, like it has to be part of also a behavioral change because otherwise you'll end up in the same position while you're also trying to settle all that already existed. Um, and so you're fixing the bad mistakes of the past. So you have to also change your behavior going forward for it to kind of stick. 
in some ways it's a forced behavioral change because we're taking all the credit cards or you're done with the credit card spending for the time being. You can get credit cards again, that's no problem. Uh, but it, it, there is the behavioral change, it's the attitude change and the, the not being combative, looking at it like it's a partnership. I'm your partner, right. you know, I'm not your boss, I'm not your parent, I'm not your child, I'm your partner in this and we're partnering together so you tell me what works for you. How do you want to be communicated with? You know, how would you like this process to, what kind of result are you looking for? Can, can it be realistic? And if you're having a conversation with somebody like that, like I'm saying, that's the right person to work with. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I appreciate you, Leslie, taking the time today. I know this, you know, especially I think as we go into 2022, People have their student loans turned back on. Um, they may be facing a different financial situation than they have for the last couple of years. So what are, um, what are the best way for people to find you and more information about you? So thank you. And there is lots of information all over the web. Our website is tainlaw.com. We also are on Twitter at Leslie H. Tain ESQ, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram at Tain Law Group. We put out some really great content um, and of course, uh, you can reach us at 866-890-7337. And we always have a free, no obligation phone consultation opportunity for anybody who has questions about anything related to debt or otherwise. That's great. Thank you again. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Finance Explained. This week in the markets, we'll continue to watch the progress in Congress on the Senate's budget reconciliation bill. The $3.5 trillion spending bill, which as of the latest cut, the price tag now seems to have been cut to about $1.85 trillion. On the economic front, it's a big week for labor market data and earnings season. On Wednesday, we'll get ADP employment data and a statement from the FOMC likely indicating the start of asset purchase tapering. Thursday, look for the usual weekly jobless claims, and Friday, we'll get the October employment situation report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In addition to those, Q3 earnings season continues with over 167 companies reporting from the S&P 500. For more insights on all we discussed today, charts and graphs of all the data points covered, as well as the latest numbers for weekly jobless claims and the pandemic, be sure to check out the links in today's show notes. Have questions about the economy or your personal finances? Submit a question for the Finance Explained podcast. Look for the link in the show notes anytime, and I'll address it on one of our weekly episodes. As always, I so appreciate your support. It is your questions, weekly listening, sharing with friends, and especially your honest and thoughtful reviews that help make Finance Explained possible. So that's it for this week's episode of Finance Explained by Family Finance Mom. I hope each week to build and expand your financial literacy, help you understand not only the week's headlines, but how they relate to you, and also you can make better financial decisions for yourself, your family, and your futures. <music>